Philippians 3 and 6. Amen. So good to see everybody out today and share some things with you. God has been good, and we thank God. Thank you, Vern, for the mantle. I got me a little kind of. Next time, do they have these in cape form? I'm going to put a cape on. I got a cape. I ain't broke the cape out in a long time. You all know the church ain't ready for the cape. That's my miracle mantle. I used to put that cape on revivals. Boy, that cape had a lot of power. Boy, we would work that cape in revivals. See, we had those revivals a long time ago. We did all kind of things. When you would stay in a mode of consecration and you're going from church to church, God would have you do all kind of strange stuff. You ain't never heard of the pool of Bethesda, have you? Put a baby pool. You know them little baby pools? You put it up water and put it down in front. We'll have a pool of Bethesda revival night. Boy, you know what? The saints would take their shocks and shoes off and had to, call, had to walk in that pool and step in it barefoot and you pray for them. We tell you, we're talking about some miracles will be happening. Well, why the Lord got to do that? Because that's, it's important for you to do something. God's going to require you to get out of your comfort zone to obey God. And I'm not going to do that. Well, you just like Naaman who wouldn't go bathe seven times in the water. The Lord asks you to do something hard. You'd be ready to do it. Climb the Empire State Building. I'll give you a miracle. You get your climbing gear together. But he tell you to step down in a pool of water. You can't do that. See, people, people don't know that God challenges you for your rebellion and disobedience. He'll ask you to do little simple things that he knows that you don't want to do. But when you obey God, there's a miracle on the other side of obeying God. Just doing what God tells you to do. And so you have to, you cannot live in a place where you're constantly ruled by your intellectualism and your analytical mind. Where you analyze, why, why does God want me to do this for that to happen? Just obey. Get in the mindset of just obeying God. Never mind, just obeying. I'm not talking about doing something crazy or off the wall. But I'm talking about God asks you to do things that may not seem connected to what he wants to bless you with. But on the other side of obedience, look at somebody say, on the other side of obedience is the breakthrough. <coughs> is the miracle when you obey the power flows god can't flow with disobedience god can't bless you when you're in disobedience because then he'd have to change the rules if you can just be blessed in all your disobedience i gotta have mercy in your disobedience but to move you forward with favor you got to obey god amen obedience because if god gonna bless you whether you obey or not there ain't no point in you obeying is it Amen. Come on, somebody. Philippians 3 and 6, do you have it? Say amen. Or 3 and 8, I'm sorry. If you have it, say amen. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ. In the Greek, he didn't say garbage. He said something bad. <clears throat> and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through the obeying the law, but rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Verse number 10. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, or am I already perfect, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that. Look at somebody say, lay hold on. That I may lay hold on that which Christ has also laid hold on of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing. Somebody say, one thing. I do. 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I do what? I press toward the goal for the prize of the high calling that is in Christ Jesus. If there is a high call, then there's a middle call. If there's a high call, then there's also a low call. Many people can live and die. Yes, they're saved, and when they die, they'll go to heaven. But what a sad story to live your entire life in the low call area. In the low call, it doesn't require much sacrifice. It doesn't require much suffering. It does not require any much effort. Just be a nominal Christian waiting to go to heaven, and when you die, hopefully you're going to make it. But the high call is something you got to press through. Paul didn't say press because it sounded poetic. He said it because literally there's opposition to press into the higher things of God. There's something wrong with anybody that wants to be in a relationship with somebody but has no desire for that relationship to be the absolute best excellent relationship it can be. Who gets married on a wedding day and spends all that money and feeling like a dummy later all that money, come on, spend all this money on cakes and clothes you ain't never going to get for people who are never going to call you when you get married. When you're having trouble, they ain't never going to come by and see you. You just didn't coughed up a bunch of money for a memory. Who spends all this money and effort on anything to just have an okay life now? A relationship where we say hi in the morning and we eat together quietly and, you know, we just kind of live our separate lives as roommates together. Nobody gets married for that. They get married for nights in Shangri-La, eating grapes on the terrace by the sea, moonlight, whispering soft nothings each other. They get married for a romance. But then the enemy of finance comes in. And finance is a hindrance to romance. <laughs> Reality strikes. Reality comes in and you get into a routine and somehow something that started out with great expectations turns into something that you learn to live with. And oh, the kids come. And then the children can be a great distraction from what is lacking in the relationship. And you sometimes people have kids so quick when they get married, they don't get a chance to even know each other before the children come and then everything is about the kids, and it's no longer the daddy got to give up and mama got to give up. Everybody sacrifices for the children. And when the children hit 18 and start going to college, there really ain't nothing else in common with each other. The only thing we had in common, we was raising a kid together. And they have a problem staying together because they don't really even like each other. They're just roommates that share bills and get along. Nobody gets in a relationship with, for that. If they told you that, if you could peek into the future and see that, you'd probably say, no. Nobody has low expectations for something they make great sacrifices for. Paul talks about the relationship that he has with Jesus. He says, when I found Jesus, I counted everything before him as worthless dung, is what the Greek says. In the Greek, it is actually the profanity word. Is what he said. I know y'all got to grow up someday. It's the profanity. It's the street profanity word for crap, for dung. He said, I count it all as you know what that I might obtain. Don't look at me like that. That's what it says. I can tell you what it says. He said, it's all nothing. It's less than scum to be discarded that I might gain Jesus. To become one, 
one with him. You know, most people don't have that goal when they get saved. They just want to be around him or counted in that number. When the saints go marching, I just want to be in that number. You rarely ever sing, they sing about being one with the Lord. To be one with something means to be inseparable from something. To be of the same essence with something. He said, I want to be made, I want to be intermingled to be in the same stock of what Jesus is. I no longer count my own righteousness, which I did through the law, but I've counted the righteousness of God. Then he says that I may know him in his resurrection, his life-giving power, his power to bring dead things back to life. I want to know him in his ability to bring life back from dead things. I want to know him in his power to turn back the clock, because that's what resurrection is. Something has died, has passed its time, and to be resurrected is to turn back the clock. To a time where it's vibrant and living. I want to know him in his turn back the clock time. I want to know him in his redeeming the time power. I want to know him in his ability to bring life to something that is completely devoid of life. That I might know him. He says, but first, before I can really know him in that kind of power, I have to fellowship. I have to koinonia. I have to join in with his sufferings and be conformed. To take on what the word conform means to take on the shape of his death. What are you saying? Not that I've already got it, neither have I already been perfect. He said, but wait a minute, I lay a hold of the thing that has laid hold on me. He says, Jesus has really got a hold on me. And I'm trying to grasp the thing that has captured me. And in that pressing, I press because there's a high call he has for me. And I want to obtain this high calling. And Paul says, I'm not going to die until I do it. I'm going to finish my course and run my race. See, there comes a point in your life when you're walking with God and serving God that you realize there really ain't nothing worth anything down here. That the only thing worth living for is to find his will and then do his will. Are you listening? And they'll be satisfied that it won't, you're not going nowhere until you've done his will. See, that's when you realize that you ain't going to die before your time because you're doing the Lord's work. You're not going to get out of here until you're done doing his work. And if you're done, there ain't nothing wrong with leaving. To the die is gain. You know, the Christians need to change their mind about saints that die in the Lord. They're not sad when they die. I, I got to have a class on it because some people have so much misconceptions about what happened. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus looked at the thief on the cross and said, we're getting ready to die, but today you're going to be with me in paradise. And when Jesus looks at you, he says, today you're going to be. When you're, on your when you're on your last death bed, your day of departure is already wrapped up, it's over. He's going to stand by you and say, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Paul said, to die, is, to die in Christ is gain. I remember, anybody ever heard of Benson Idahosa? Benson Idahosa was a great apostle to Africa, great man of God. Benson Idahosa got filled with the Holy Ghost, and he read the book of Acts and saw that God did signs and wonders, and he ran from town. You know, they had villages all over the place, little town. He went from town to town looking for dead people to raise from the dead. And he went from town to town and town and, and town to town, and what, nothing happened. But he wasn't going to stop. He kept going until all of a sudden somebody dead got up. And then somebody else dead got up. And then somebody else dead got up. And then the news started spreading and more people started getting up. And he just kept going until he started getting more people getting resurrected. And that was the beginning of his ministry. Because, you know, you get somebody dead raised up in the village, the whole village is going to turn out. Then it's time to start telling them about Jesus. 
You've just been baptized into the evangelistic ministry. He came to a place a couple of years ago where he sat at the table. I had friends that knew him and that were there in Africa. He sat at the table and he had just finished signing some papers and doing some things and setting them in order. And they said he lifted his hands up and said, Father, I have done everything you have commanded me to do. I have obeyed you and done everything. And he dropped on that table and left here. Immediately after saying it, he jumped. He didn't die from a heart attack. He leapt out of his body. Y'all ain't going to help me in here. When you begin a walk with God, you can, you don't, do you know you can walk with God to where you'll know when you're going to leave here? I remember I visited the great prophet Dick Mills, and I'm talking about Dick Mills when he told me that he was 80-something years old. I was sitting there listening to him, and I said, you can't go until you pray for me. And he said, I'm going to pray for you. He was a great prophet. And when he prophesied to you, he would rattle off scriptures. I mean, he could just, he prophesied four or five scriptures, and when you write them down and you read them later, they were a word just for you. And then he would prophesy the word of the Lord. He said, I remember when I got saved in a Catherine Kuhlman revival. He said, I was there. I was a military man in the Air Force, and I came to that service. And he said, I'll never forget when the power hit me in the service, and I fell into the power. I was baptized in the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues. And he said, the Lord gave me a vision, and he sold me seven waves of the Spirit in my life and how my life was going to end. I said, well, I said did you see those seven waves? He said, I've seen all of those seven moves of the Spirit in my life, and I know I'm now I'm at the end. And he was happy. His knees, he couldn't walk anymore. He was sitting there. He said, but I'm happy. I'm looking for. He was getting on Ustream. He was getting on streaming television and sitting in front of the camera and pouring out everything that he wanted to give, leave nothing before he left. That's how I want to go. Not crying and screaming and begging and pleading. I want to go looking forward. I remember one of the saints that passed away years ago as they were sitting on their bed and they would come and the, ch the children would gather around and they say, it just looks like mother is not paying attention to anybody. And they said, mama, you, mama, baby, mommy, okay. She said, she would just be looking. She said, I'm already looking over there. I can see it. She said, the Lord came by the door the other day, so I know he's coming back to see me and I'm going to leave here. Tell everybody to come see me. They want to see by because I'm going to be with the Lord. She was sitting there, and when they were gathered around, she said, oh, there he is again. There's the Lord. She said, yes, Jesus, and she was gone immediately. He came and took her home. You want to go crying and picking and screaming and hollering about the things you didn't do and wishing you could have another chance. Oh, but when you start right, when you run right, you can finish right. That's how I want to go out with victory. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I remember as a child when I was raised in the Holiness Pentecostal Church, apostolic Jesus only got to be baptized in the name, oh, you ain't saved. We didn't believe nobody was saved but us. We didn't care how much tongue talking you did, you wasn't down in the name, you wasn't saved. And I don't come here talking about you got that, somebody taught you how to speak in tongues. Come on, but you said, did you get the Holy Ghost? Yes, I got the Holy Ghost over at such and such church. They don't know nothing about the Holy Ghost. Come on in this prayer room. Let me show you how to get the Holy Ghost. Now get down in that chair and say hallelujah till your mouth get dry and fall out on the floor. And when your tongue fall out on the floor, pick it up and put it back in and say hallelujah again. And you be in there, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Can you say faster? 
faster, faster. Hallelujah. See, and, and I remember one time I made the mistake. I was trying to enunciate hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I was only 10 years old. I was a C. Back in those days, I was in the church, raised in church. You didn't have no choice but to go to church. Nobody asked you, what, how did you feel about going to church today? Did you, did you, honey, I just want you to get dressed and get ready now. You don't have to dress up. No, 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 no. At 8 o'clock in the morning, WGPR would be on, radio on, gospel music playing. It'd be the Jackson Southerners, and there's power, so much power in the name. We'd be listening to the music, getting dressed for church, and it was 10 of us, and all of us would be dressed and ready for Sunday school by 9 o'clock. You ain't had no choice. You gonna go to church. And my father would come in and say, you don't have a choice. As long as you breathe in my air, eating my food, sleeping in my bed, wearing my clothes, you going to church. Now, when you get 18, you can do what you want. And we went to church. And I was sitting there in those Sunday school, the Union Gospel Press, and I was talking about Jesus, talking about the Lord, talking about Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, talking about oh, Eli, Saul, all this Bible story year after year, Easter time. You got the same story at Easter time, resurrection, same story at Christmas time. But he drilled it in you. And, you know, somewhere along the line, I remember somebody was preaching. And I, I remember I would go listen to Bishop William L. Bonner. I was only nine years old, ten years old. And see, it wasn't many folks on, apostolic folk on TV, but Bishop Bonner would be on there with the Hour of Truth broadcast. Eight o'clock on Monday nights on WGPR. And I would turn on, and they, they would be, the Joy Bell Choir would be singing, and they would be going to church, would be packed, and Bishop Bonner would get on. And he didn't preach a bunch of religion, but he preached deliverance. He preached Jesus above every circle. And I would sit there, and I remember I was 10 years old. I was, like, I was about 9 years old. I remember sitting there listening to him, and I was just crying and couldn't stop crying while he was preaching. And you could just see the power was moving in the service, and I started getting chills all over my body. And I didn't know what was going on. And I, I said, whoa. I, I said, I was just crying, but I didn't want nobody to know I was crying. You know, I was put wiping away, and I walked away, and I let the grown folks do all that emotional stuff. But I remember when... I went to a revival one night, and there was a man of God who was there preaching, and I got those chill bumps again, and they were all over me, and I was just trembling. It was all down my back, and it was just bothering me, and I remember that night, I was still trembling all over, and my mother got me to the door to unlock the door. I said, Mama, I said, why am I shivering all over? She said, that's the Holy Ghost on you. I gone in the house, and so we went in there. That was the only explanation I got. I had to chill them Holy Ghost goosebumps was all over me. But I remember I made a decision to go tarry for the Holy Ghost. And I went back there. And they, they, well, they didn't want to waste no time on kids because kids went in there usually playing around. They, they, you know, nobody want to tarry with you unless you really mean business. And for three nights, I went in that back room and tarry for the Holy Ghost. And but the girl that went in there with me, she got the Holy Ghost. Boy, all, it's like all the marbles I had in my bag busted fell out on the floor. I was just like, how's she going to get the Holy Ghost? And I don't get the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And the mother said, that's what's wrong. You keep trying to say it. So just, just say it too fast. Just say it fast. And I holla, 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 Just say it. Just say it fast as you can. Quit trying to say hallelujah. I was like, so that's the technique. All right. There's a technicue <laughs> to this. I remember I, the next night I went in there and it was revival. We had one of them dry revivals where the preacher was kind of dead and he was preaching and didn't nobody really want to be there. There was a boys looking around waiting for the clock to get over and he was talking and going on. And I told, well, I said, I want to tell you for the Holy Ghost tonight. And she said, well, we're going to just go to church tonight. Is that all right, baby? And I remember I said, okay. I'm sitting in the back. And then she, after the preacher was up for about a half hour, she looked back and said, if you want to tell you tonight's a tarry. 
And she came and took me back into the prayer room. And I tell you, before she had came and got me, I went out privately in the prayer room in the back room of Unity Temple and got on my knees and I said, Lord, I want the Holy Ghost. I want the real Holy Ghost. I want it like the Bible says. And I don't know why I'm not getting it, but I want the Holy Ghost tonight. I really want you to fill me with the Spirit of God. And so I went back and sat down. And that's when she looked at me and said, I'll help you, Terry. I'm like, oh, it shocked me. And so I went back there. And in about five minutes of hallelujah, hallelujah, something got on me. Something in my belly began to leap. And all of a sudden, I was talking in this strange language. And I'm sitting there looking at her. And she's like, yes. See, you, baby, clap. Yes. Yes. Come on. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Come on. I'm like, rock a mashanda. Suck a potato. <laughs> Untie my yellow bow tie. <laughs> it come a Shonda till I can't see her. I was going through tongue, and she was like, that's right. And all of a sudden, she went to get my mother and them, and when she came back in, she said, she was looking at me, and I stopped. I said, did you get it? And, and you, that's the wrong question. Because if you got it, you don't have to ask the question. I said, is this it? Did I get it? She said, did you? I said, yes. She said, yes, you got it. I got it. And I was going, and that night, I thought beams of light was going to appear. I thought angels was going to come. I thought Jesus was going to walk around and say, welcome to the family. None of that happened. It was just a few goosebumps and a strange, weird feeling in my belly and some tongues and some joy. But at 10 years old, I went back to school and told everybody, I got the Holy Ghost. I came in the classroom. I got the Holy Ghost last night. They said, paper stars, to shut up. Get out of here, no Holy Ghost fool. You ain't got nothing. I was like, I got the Holy Ghost. Touch me not. I suddenly transformed into the prophets of old. Now I had the Holy Ghost. I had, I had bragging rights. I knew enough Sunday school to quote it. I said, you shall likewise perish, except you repent. I wasn't going to let nobody bother me. I had tried for years to get the Holy Ghost, and now I got it. You ain't about to make me feel ashamed of it. And that was the beginning. I remember, but I had such doctrine. I was caught up in this doctrine. And you don't mind me telling you this story. Make a long story short, I started studying. I heard the preacher preach about you got to live this thing. You can't be a phony and a hypocrite. And I'm looking at I said, I can't be a hypocrite. So I went and got me some Bibles. And about 12 and 13, I would steal my brother's concordances and Bibles. I'm going to be for real if I'm being this thing. And I'm trying to read the Bible and trying to under. I didn't know nothing about Greek and Hebrew. Then the preacher started coming in. In the Greek text, the Bible says, Askosporosos. And the word Askosporosos means. And they would be, and I'd be like, I need to know the Greek. And so I went and found me a Greek concordance and started looking in the Greek. And I said, I don't understand none of this stuff in the Greek. But we started studying, and I remember when somebody, my brother was dating a girl that went to Word of Faith, and, and he came in there, and I used to go with my brother Gerald to revivals all the time. He would be the church man. He'd go to Bishop Bonner's. We'd be going. I remember I was going to Bishop Bonner's service every time he had a revival to lay hands, because I was tired of tarrying, because I never got it. He said, if I lay hands on you, you're going to get it. So I'd be down there, and Bishop Bonner would lay hands on me. I'd walk down that aisle. I wouldn't feel nothing. Everybody else would be going through just conniptions. I'm looking around, man, I wish I could go through a conniption. I, I'm not feeling anything. But after I went and got the Holy Ghost, Bishop Bonner was back in town again. The next week revival. Now I got the Holy Ghost. And I went down. I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and get me a double. Back then we talked about the double portion anointing. I'm going to go back and get me a double portion anointing. 
I went down the highway, and boy, I saw the spirit moving this time. Ooh, it was goosebumps all over me. My stomach was doing flips and twirls in my back. I was like, Ichabai. I was, uh, I was, you know, it was a shakada. I was like, whoa, what is this? And power was in Mission Barn. was down there laying hands on people. And I, the closer I got, it started getting on my leg. I said, ooh, I started getting, start, stomach started tightening up. I said, oh, God. I said, I was like, I was getting ready to have a nervous breakdown or something. Well, something you're going to have. And, and he would touch it. They was shooting. And the folks were just, just skyrocket. I remember, and I said, well, the last time he touched me didn't nothing happen i mean the last 25 times he touched me it was like laying hands on a doorknob but this time when he touched me the power said boom it picked me up off the flight it threw me it picked me up and when i hit the ground it was like a thousand volts of electricity going through my body and i remember i laid on the floor and watched my legs shake bouncing and shaking i said this is real this is real i'm not doing this this is real and the anointing just stayed on me all night when i went home and I mean, them services used to go on to 11 o'clock at night. Folks would just be on the floor speaking and telling people to get refilled. It was just power services. And I was just enthralled with the Holy Ghost. And I was determined to not be like the world at 10, at 11, at 12, at 13, at 14. Then my brother brought in a book from Kenneth Hagin. I didn't know who Kenneth Hagin was. And the book didn't even have a cover on it. It was called Concerning Spiritual Gifts. And I remember as much as I went around to conventions and church services, I would read the books and I would say, where are the gifts of the Spirit at? What is the gifts of the Spirit? And I would ask all the pastors, what is the gifts of the Spirit? Well, the gifts are the gifts. And uh, what, what's the word of knowledge? The word of knowledge is when God gives you a knowledge in a word. That's what that is. And what's the discern of spirits? Some folk can discern spirits. Quit asking all these questions. What you want to know anyway? I said, well, it's in the Bible. I want to know what it means. Oh, you, you just need to be, everybody get into the gifts, get puffed up and get a big head. Just stay humble, son. And I remember I laid in front, it was wintertime, I laid in front of my heater vent in my living room. And I opened the Bible up and I was reading it. And I fell asleep and I had a mini vision. And I saw myself ministering in a way I had never seen anybody minister. Like a quick preview. And I woke up and I looked at those gifts of the Spirit and I said, Father, I have nobody to teach me these. I really want to know what these gifts are and nobody to tell me. And so months went by. And you know, my brother was, you know, going out with his chick. She was kind of cute, you know. They was going out. And she came over to the house one time and she wore makeup. So I really struggled if she was saved. And I was like, oh. Got on lipstick. And the old folks used to call stuff rudge. Got on rudge and lipstick. I don't, know if, I don't know if she had the earrings, big ones. I was like, my God. We was taught that earrings was hoops. They was devil stirrups. The, feet, the devil put his feet in the, in the stirrups and ride your mind with the hoops. And now we, was, we didn't believe in that over in holiness. The saying was holiness is right. But boy, she gave him some books. And one of those books was concerning spiritual gifts. My brother Gerald said, this is a good book. He threw it on my bed. You ought to check it out. He didn't have no cover on it. And I said, is he apostolic? He said, don't worry about that. Just be open-minded. I looked at him, I said, be open-minded. What is it to be open-minded about the truth? And I looked at it, and I threw it down. I said, he probably don't even have the truth. And I looked around, I ain't got nothing better to do. What did that book say? Concerning spiritual gifts. I opened it up, and the first lesson was the word of knowledge. I read that book. I read that whole book in one day, and I went back and read it again. He answered every question I ever had about the gifts. I said, who in the world is this guy? Because the cover was gone. I said, this would be my chance. This was written somewhere in 1940, and he's dead already. 
I never heard of Kenneth Hagin. Little did I know that Kenneth Hagin was on the radio almost every day. I didn't know nothing about it, though. And I got it, the other books that he had. It wasn't long before I was catching rides down to the bookstore. And I went in asking for Kenneth Hagin. They said, oh, yeah, it's a whole rack over there. I went over there and got a, it was 200 books of Kenneth Hagin with everything you could think about. And I didn't have any money. So I would sit there in, in that little bench and I would read the books and hope that nobody would notice I was reading all of them. Then I got me a little part-time job, and I started going down and buying books. And I remember I would just be in the bed with five books trying to read them all, just read them all in high school. And I just had never seen this kind of ministry. And then suddenly a prophet came to town. And somebody says, there's a prophet over so-and-so. And I said, I'm going to go and see who the prophet is. I went over to see the prophet, and this guy was strange. He was unique. He was telling all big-time stuff. And I'm sitting in the balcony. He was moving in the gifts, and he was calling people out. And I was like, this guy, who is this man? And then he got up, and he said, now, the presence of the Lord is here. He was deep talking. He said, he said I want anyone that has an affliction to stand in the hourway. This is over at Greater Grace. It was a big, long hourway. And all of a sudden, all these folk, about, it was like 400 people got in the hourway. I said, we're going to be here all night. You got to pray for these people. And he said, tonight, I don't have to touch you because the Lord's going to touch you. One person put your hand on the person in front of you. And I said, God's going to touch every one of you in this hourway. And I'm telling you, I said, oh, well, he's been ready to fail now because apostolics don't believe in falling out and all that stuff. You about to bomb now. I said, you was doing good. I was thinking that scripture, when you ran, you ran well, but you about to mess up now. I'm like, and I didn't want him to fail because he had a bunch of unbelievers in the audience. And he just looked there and said, he said, now the spirit of the Lord, he said, shay, like that. And all of a sudden, dominoes. 300 people fell like dead people. And the line, they went like all around, around, and everybody in the church's mouth was like this. And I was up in the balcony like this. I had never seen the spirit transfer from person to person. And there wasn't no courtesy drops because they was down. They couldn't get up. They was on the floor out. And I looked. And I got down in the aisleway, in the hallway when he was walking out the office. I was just going to stand by to see if I could see him. And, you know, and he just passed on by. He looked at me and he greeted me and he kept going. Well, he came back the next year. But by that time, I had went over. I had started thinking maybe I might be called because when he was preaching, I was hoping he was going to call me out and say whether I was called because I was wrestling with whether God was calling me or not. And he looked over while he was preaching. He said, and some of you want me to call you out and tell you that God has called you, but that's not my job. He said, my job is to confirm what God is telling you. He said, if you listen to God, if God speaks it to you, then I can confirm it. But until you acknowledge it, I can't confirm what God is not, what you won't acknowledge. I fell back against the wall and I said, I'm getting ready to graduate from high school. I don't know if I'm called or not. And I said, Lord, you're dealing with me. I know something in my heart. I said, I don't know if you really called me or not. But if you really called me, then I want you to confirm it. Because, Lord, I accept the call. And I'm going to give it all I got. I'm going to give it 100%. And if I sink, then I'm going to sink giving it 100%. But I'm going to give it all I got. I promise. It wasn't long. It was over at Liberty Temple. Some of y'all don't remember Liberty Temple. Reverend Ralph Hart. Great revivals, and they had a prophetess in town. I went over. I went on a three-day fast and went over to the prophetess. I'm gonna get a word. I didn't know nothing about how prophecy worked. I just figured if I fasted, she'd have to give me a word. I'm sitting. I said, I'm not gonna go at night. It's gonna be a bunch of people there trying to get words. So I'm gonna go in the day service because I'm a kid. I ain't got no job. I'm gonna go in the daytime, and it probably won't hardly be enough people to she I'll be right like this. You have to give me a word. It won't be nobody else around beside you. I got there. There was a couple hundred people. I was like, man, there's a couple hundred people in here. And I sat down, and she called out everybody around me but me. 
And I sat there and I said, well, I fasted for three days. I guess I ain't really called. I guess that ain't the Lord. Waiting on a confirmation because I just couldn't believe God called me. It was just, I just really had a struggle believing that. And a lady tapped me on my shoulder and gave me a piece of paper. And I had, she didn't know I had tears in my eyes. And I took the paper and I looked at it and she said, yay, my son. <laughs> yay. What the old folks prophesied in King James Version. She said, yay, my son, for I have called you. You came here looking for a word and I'm giving you a word. Isaiah 43 is your chapter. You shall walk through the fire. She went through the whole verse and she said, I saw a vision of you standing on a white bridge. You and Jesus were wearing white and you were catching fish, all kinds of many colors and types of, of fish out to sea. You were, and she said, you were a fisher of men. And she went on to say other stuff. And I sat there and said, how come I couldn't get the call out prophecy though? <laughs> it, it, it disrupted my image on how I thought God was going to do it. I was like, all right, well, I'll take the paper, but I'm going to come back tonight and see if she'll give me a word. I went back that night, and she was prophesying for everybody. Prophetess Brenda was her name. She was prophesying to everybody. And when I got my time to come around the aisleway, she looked at me, and she said, Fisher of men. I said, well, she just confirmed. I was like, whoa. Whoa. She confirmed what the woman said today. Make a long story short. You getting tired of me yet? I got about 20 minutes. I got to get to wrap this up. So, I accepted the call of God. I said, I must be called. I got to get some training. By this time, I had found out that Kenneth Hagin was alive. And so he had a Bible school. So I wrote down there, and they said, we don't accept everybody because we got a small class. So I was praying. I put my application in, and my pastor was like, we don't believe like they believe, and you can go down there and get messed up. My mother was like, you can go down there and get messed up. Everybody's like, you can go down there and get messed up, and you're going to get your mind turned out. You can go down there and get brainwashed. Everybody go down there, come back crazy, and lead a doctor. And I'm sitting there like, wow. But they accepted me. Make a long story short, I got the money. I scraped it together, and I flew to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I got to stay at a basketball player. Well, Wayman Tisdale picked me up. He was friends with Carl, my brother, from commission. And he picked me up from the airport. I was looking for a hotel. He said, you could just stay at the mansion with me. I said, this got to be the will of God. Because I got about $2,000 in cash I didn't put together. And I can't, I, you know, I need all the money I can get. And so we st I stayed there almost for two months at his house. I mean, and he had to go to basketball training camp. And then all the, light, all the air went out of the balloon. Like, wait a minute, school ain't started <laughs> And just then, Mother Hester called me on the phone. My mother, you know, the mother, you know I'm worrying mother's all right. I'm worried about him down there. Check on him. She had just moved to Okmulgee, Oklahoma. And she came up from Okmulgee and found me at the house and said, Baby, you're going to come stay with me until your school starts. I was like, I don't want to be in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. I got to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But I ain't had much choice. So I went down to Okmulgee, Oklahoma, and I remember standing there, and she said, well, I got a mission going. We're going to have service tonight, honey. Come on, church. And so I put my clothes on. Back then, I used to wear bow ties and wire rim glasses. I was just turned 18 out of high school, and I'm sitting over there in the corner. Church is a old, it's a church full of old saints, senior saints. Everybody in there, nobody in there under 75. Everybody was like about 20 of them. It's like they all rolled in with their own wheelchairs. Like they didn't need no pews, just came in. I'm sitting here saying, boy, it can't get much worse than this. I'm sitting up here like, wow, I came down there with visions of Kenneth Hagin and prophecy. And I'm sitting up here, and there was one little girl in the back, and she was just plunking on the piano through the whole service. I guess they figured they had to let her do something, or she'd leave too. She was just back there playing the plonk. I'm like, if you don't, I don't back there, I'm going to throw something at you. 
And I'm just sitting there drifting off in thought, man, well, I've got to endure this. And she said, now, baby, you called to the ministry. I said, uh, yes. She's down here to go to, you know, they can't never get the name right. It was Raymond Bible College. He's down here at Raymond Bible College. And He's down here at Raymond, and while he at Raymond, he's going to get the ministry. He's going to go, I'm going to let you come on up here. And I was like, she said, what? And she said, I want you to come up here and say the word tonight. I hadn't had no formal service. You know, I hadn't had no trial sermon. I hadn't gone through no courses. But, you know, I couldn't back down. I was like, <clears throat> I got a bow tie on. I got to act like I know what I'm doing. I said, yes. I said, yes, I'll, yes, I'll preach. But since I had got a hold of Kenneth Hagin, he opened the door up for Smith Wigglesworth. And when I read about Smith Wigglesworth, I read about John G. Lake. And I started reading John G. Lake. I started reading Gordon Lindsay. I started reading Lester Sumrall. I started reading about Christ for the Nations. And then I got a hold of all things are possible and read about the healing revival. And suddenly I was studying every revival from the past and how the men of God operated. And every prophet, you couldn't talk about nobody. I didn't know who they were. I was consumed, obsessed with revival. And so I got there that night. And so I began to preach. And I didn't know what to preach. But I heard the Holy Ghost say that the Spirit speaketh expressly in the latter days many shall give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and then the verse dropped down and said let no man despise thy youth and I got up and I was standing there and I'm, I was shaking like I was getting ready to have a, a Parkinson fit I was shaking up there like this and all of a sudden the anointing something came on me and my legs stopped good God felt something like somebody came on me and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I started preaching and expound. I had tons of information I had been reading so I, I preached the greatest message I had ever stolen five times if oh I just preached everything I knew and all of a sudden the mother started saying go ahead on one of them got up out of a wheelchair and said come on and preach up in here and I'm just well I thought I'm like man I'm hitting the jackpot and so I really turned it on then I started shaking the mic and, and put my hand in my ear that was uh, I said well I might as well go all out because if I fail here who's gonna know what a great place to practice and fall it's like preaching in a senior citizen's home you can't really do they don't, they don't expect too much so I was going all out until I, I was got ahead of myself. I got full of my A.A. Allen. I was on that. I said, now who tonight will come down and get a miracle? I said, who needs prayer tonight? If you're sick in your body, why should you be sick while others are being healed? Come down here tonight and God is going to work a miracle. And all of a sudden, it went on down there. All the saints looked around like, they looked around they're like, don't he see everybody in here is sick? But I was on another world. I was on the stage. I couldn't see. I said, won't you come? Won't you come tonight? Come on. Come on tonight. And one old lady braved through all the doubt and unbelief. And she came on down there. I, I, yeah, praise the Lord. Yes, thank you, Jesus. I, I, what you need tonight, Mother? My hip and my hip went on out. Don't you pray that hip fell out. Just, just I want to pray to the Lord, touch me. I said, God's going to touch your hip tonight. I said, raise your, I did a regular sham box. I said, raise your hands and shout amen. I said, in the name of Jesus. I did my best Pentecostal scream God down prayer. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And boy, she, she started going back and she went, bam, on the floor. We didn't have no catchers. She fell on the floor. And she said, oh. I said, is she owing because she heard or is she owing because it's a spirit? Right now, I was having a conflict, a crisis of faith. I'm standing there, and all the old folks are sitting looking at me. And they looked down at her. And they looked back at me, and I looked back at them, and I looked back at her. It was like, oh, God, revival about to be over. I said, yeah, I said. And she said, oh, she got, she said, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 
I said, whoo, that was a save right there. We safe. I said, who will be the next to receive a miracle? And they all started getting out their seats and started coming our way. Before I know it, I had a good fire. I got prayer line, about six people in the prayer line. And what nobody catching them. That's why you know it was real. They was hitting the floor like wet tiles. Bam. And I had never had anybody fall under the power when I prayed. I'm like, well, this is all new. And I'm just riding high of the greatest revival of my life. Until this man gets up. He's about 90-something years old. He's got these big old giant, them big, with them, what do we call them glasses, the big old visors. Like he, he was in church at night with those glasses on. I was like, this is, he must be blind. And he got up here at a cane. I said, he's crippled. And he had a big old giant hearing aid on his hip. I said, he's blind, crippled, and deaf. I said, oh, my God. I said, Lord, he needs three miracles. I've only been seeing one miracle at a time. He needs a triple-double tonight. And all of a sudden, I started saying, oh, God, I said, I started saying, Lord, I, I said, Lord, couldn't you have given me one out of three? And he came down there, and I said, what do you need, huh? I said, what do you need, God? He said, huh? I said, what do you want the Lord to do for you? Oh, I can't hear nothing. I ain't heard in 30 years. This thing don't really pick up nothing. I can't hear nothing. I said, is that all you want? He said, yeah, that's all I want. Everything else I can live with. I just want to get my hearing back. I said, thank you, Jesus. I unloosened my bow tie. And I said, I don't know what to pray. How am I going to do the prayer? Ask God, God to heal him, rebuke the deafness. I'm like, which way should we pray? <laughs> and suddenly, St. John 5:19, whatever I see my father do, that's what I do. <clears throat> And I closed my, I said, take the hearing aids out. He took these big old Frankenstein hearing aids out, out of his ears. And I put my fingers in his ears. When I closed my eyes, I saw two hands come from behind me and put fingers in his ears and say, be opened. And so what I saw him do, that's what I did. And when I put my fingers in his ears, I said, be open. He shook back like that under the power. And I said, I ain't going to check and see if nothing's right. I said, who else needs a miracle? We'll get back to him later. I ain't going to try. I wasn't bold enough to try it. All of a sudden, he started saying, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. I said, I said, what happened to you? He said, I ain't heard in 30 years. He said, but I can hear tonight. I can hear everything. He said, I'm healed. And he started saying, yay, glory. And all of a sudden, I said, you ought to give God some praise up in this church. He said, son, you got something. I sat there. I said, I guess I know for sure I really am called now. And so it began. And I'll never forget, as I entered into Bible school, and I began to study revival. And I started realizing the great men of God fasted. And they prayed. I weighed about a hundred and... 40 pounds and 30 pounds and I started fasting. My goal was to do a 21 day with nothing but water. I did it for six or seven days and failed. I did it for again I failed. But this last time I was determined. I was standing with my buddy who was a prophet and he kind of helped train me in the very beginning. He said, we're going down to the feeding place and where they feed the homeless, Brian Powell. He said, they want me to come down there. You, don't, you know how you talk. Come on, Doc. They want me to come down there and pray for some people. We're going down there and pray for the folk. We went down there and we were praying for people. He said, I'm going to show you something. Wait on you. got to wait on the Lord now. you got to wait. And we were sitting there. And the guy said, what do you need from the Lord? He said, I want to be able to walk. He, had this, he was in his walker. 
He said, now, he said, you take the right hand and take the left hand, and we're going to lift him up in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, we, he, he said, are you ready? He said, in the name of Jesus. He said, get up like that. <laughs> and the guy got up and started walking, and God had touched his legs. And I said, I got to start fasting more. I remember I was fasting and nothing but water. I remember that belt loop was getting smaller and smaller. I started cutting holes in the belt loop because I was fasting. When I got home from school, I would lay on the floor and pray in tongues until I fell asleep. And I'd wake up and pray in tongues until I fell asleep. And I'd get up and go to school, and I'd come back and pray in tongues. Nothing but water, water, water. Waiting on God and nothing. I didn't know visions, no dreams, nothing. I was like, what in the world? I'm starving, and God ain't even talking to me. So I was working at my job, and... When I was walking, pushing carts, I would take the gro- I was bagging groceries, and there's a lady was walking, and she said, "Well, yeah, put them back there." And I said, "What's wrong with you, mother?" She says, well, "I'm deaf in this ear, and and I haven't heard it got blew out. I was a nurse in World War II, and they blew out an explosion I haven't heard in years." And I said, "Do you believe the Lord can?" I said, "You don't talk to nobody fasting for 25, 21 days, boy. You go. What do you believe the Lord can do it for you?" right now. And so I looked around in the parking lot to see what nobody looking. I said, in the name of Jesus. I said, come out of here, you deaf spirit. Loose her. And all of a sudden, she said, oh my God, it popped. And she said, oh, I can, I can, I can hear. I said, what do you think was going to happen when I prayed for you? Fasting for 20 days. You better get a miracle. All this food I'm passing up and eating, you're you going to get healed tonight. That was the second miracle I had happen. And I'll never forget when I got back to Detroit and I started putting my cars together. I wanted ready to do revival. I graduated from Rhema and they invited me to come over to a church to preach on a Sunday night, my first time. And again, I preached the greatest message I ever, second greatest message I ever stole. I preached the message from Dave Roberson. I remember when I first started going to church down there and I stumbled upon Dave Roberson's church and I saw him moving in signs and wonders and I said, this is the man of God I'm going to sit under. I'm going to be at a church where there's some power in. He came down from the pulpit. He looked at this woman. He said, you were in an accident four years. Isn't that four years ago? She said, yes. He said, you've never been to my church, have you? She said, no, it's my first time. Who brought you? My friend brought me. He said, stand up. He said, can you raise your arm? She said, no, I can't raise it. It won't raise. He looked over there. He grabbed her arm and he said, oh, you got a major problem here. He said, he said, I'm sorry. I can't do anything for you. He said, but Jesus can. Loose her. And that arm just came up. She said, oh, my God. And I was in the hallway. I said, oh, my God. I looked at my roommate and said, we're going to this church. If I got to crawl here, I'm going to this church. And right when he was teaching, he was teaching on the walk of the spirit, the walk of power. That's the book today. He was teaching that series. He began to answer every question I had about praying in tongues. So I had found out the revelation of word of faith. Then I went to the understanding of fasting and consecration. And then God took me into the understanding of the mystery of tongues and praying in tongues. For extended hours praying in tongues. So when I came back to Detroit, it was difficult starting traveling ministry because no one knew who you were. I started working in a church and being an associate elder. And you know, when God would use me, you get jealousy from other preachers. You know, lesser anointed people are more jealous of people who are anointed. They love to knock your lights out to make their lights get brighter. And see, all I wanted to do was serve the Lord. 
I just wanted the book of Acts to be true. And I was doing what God called me to do, but I found out I couldn't fit in with a lot of the other preachers because they weren't interested in doing no good. And I was often younger than most of them. I was 21 and 22. And I'll never forget, I was in a church, and I, it was a lot of commotion. One of the young ladies called me from the church one day, and she said, Pepperine, they talking about you. And they was telling about you. I said, what are they talking about me for? They said that you own your ministry and what you do ain't of God and you got the wrong spirit and they was talking about you. I said, well, don't worry about them talking about me. It'll be all right. They was in prayer at noonday prayer praying against you. The leader led a prayer that they would pray you out to ministry if you didn't conform to the house. And I said, is that right? But back then, I was full of Kenneth Hagin. I was like full of Lester Sumrall. I was full of John G. Lake. I couldn't care less what they said. I said, is that right? I'll never forget. The pastor was going out of town and said, I'm going to leave you to preach that Sunday. I said, is that you sure you want to do that? He said, yeah, I'm going to leave you in charge. And I got up there and preaching. I preached this message. I preached abiding in him. If you abide in him, ask what you will. And I preached that message. I got through it. I called the altar call. And I saw the very people who were speaking against me in the church. And see, I'm one of them stupid people that think people generally like me or don't I don't I think that people just like me and it shocks me that you even think about me and talk about me are you, are you talking about me really I'm amazed when people waste time talking about me I'm like I can't believe it I'm more shocked that I'm conversation and I saw them sitting there and all of a sudden I see I was getting ready to go on a fast and get ready but the Lord said don't fast don't do nothing relax all weekend chill out I said, you sure? I got my, I'm going to preach in front of my haters this Sunday. He said, yeah. He said, we're going to show them. You ain't heard nothing here. And I got up there and I was preaching. And all of a sudden in the service, I saw all the preachers sitting there, lips tuned up, looking upset. And I said, oh, but then I felt the cloud. I started preaching and all of a sudden the people on the front row were standing there and all of a sudden they started going sideways like that like like dominoes I said oh I said he's here <laughs> I said I know you some of y'all don't like it but the Lord is here today I said you know what I said some of y'all keep talking about me and coming against me and speaking against me but I want you to know something all you doing is making it easy for me because the more you come against what God's doing you make God have to prove more that his hands are on me. And I said, I know you're not going to like this, but God's going to move anyway. And all of a sudden, that cloud just came waving in there all over the whole place. And all of a sudden, the altar was full. Was you there that day? I will never forget the sister. I had went to the movies the night before to prove I was going to chill out. And when we all went together, the saints, she couldn't step up on the perv because she had an S-shaped spine in her back. Scoliosis of the spine. And I had to, I said, y'all, you had said, well, I've had it for years. I had an S-shape. It's been going. I said, I said, be there tomorrow. I said, God's going to straighten out that back for you. I said, you, come on down. We talked about it last night. Come down. She came down in the aisle way. I'll never forget. As soon as she got down, I said, watch God do it. I said, there we go. Whoosh, right through you. Won't you better stand up? And she hit the floor, and she wiggled all on that floor. Oh, on the floor. I said, yeah, it's going right through you. She got up and bent over, turned her back around. She started crying, started getting hysterical. By that time, everybody started coming to the prayer line then. And I'm going to tell you something. The power of God got so strong, I didn't even have to touch anybody. That's the first time it ever happened. I just started walking. Walking toward them in the line, they just started going down. I didn't get a chance to interview them. I said, guess what? Every, the last six people, I said, the last seven people, I said, by the time I get to you, before I get to you, he said he's already going before me, and he's already doing it in your body, and he's already here. As soon as I said it, they just started going down under the power.
power and everybody in that line got healed. One sister had cataracts on her eyes and as she began to cry, the cataracts popped off her eyes and were running down her cheek. Jesus began to show himself alive. Let me tell you something. It's not going to happen overnight. When God calls you to ministry, there's going to be lonely days, lonely nights, misunderstanding. But if you stick with what God called you to do, God's not calling you because you know everything. God's not calling you because you got it all together. He's calling you because you're able to say, yes, Lord. He's calling you because you're willing to obey Him and do what He tells you to do. And all the lemon juice drinking prune juice lip people standing there looking crazy. And I see it. I said, again, I'm going to tell you, you're only making this easy. Because the more you fight me, the less I have to fast. The more you keep talking about me, the more he's going to anoint me. Because I'm not going to let you mess up what we got together. I think about eight people got filled with the Holy Ghost instantly. About 20 people got healed instantly. That was one of the first times I went to serve where everybody got healed. Legs grew out, back straightened out, deaf ears opened, cataracts popped off. You name it. And by this time, it was yet and still, it was difficult to start a traveling ministry because it's like breaking in the shoe business. It's not what you know, it's who you know. You can be so anointed, but don't nobody know you. they got to open the door for you. And I found out that a lot of pastors didn't want me coming in there doing all that type of stuff in their church because one of them just told me, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to do all that after you're gone. I don't want my people to get all into that and then I got to keep it going. I'm not doing all that you do. After 16 years of traveling across this country in churches, Spanish churches, black churches, white churches, AME, Baptist, Pentecostals, all kinds of churches in the islands, overseas, in India, in crusades, all around after 16 years of traveling and going to conventions and meeting preachers and hobnobbing, preaching for Bishop Jakes and preaching for Bishop Daryl Hines, preaching in front of 5,000 people, miracle services. <clears throat> Yet and still, the politics, the backdoor nonsense, they couldn't believe that I was living celibate. But the deliverance ministry required me to fast, required me to be consecrated. While well, I knew other preachers was bringing women into the hotel room. And, oh, I've had a few try to call and find out what room I in. They in the lobby. And, you know, but the devil always lowballed me. He didn't never let Holly Berry or... or <coughs> 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 he never brought in... Sh he, he never... <laughs> he, <laughs> he always brought in them with a tooth missing or something. It was always something. <laughs> they had like a couple of teeth missing. They was like, I'm coming. I'm in the lobby. You're going to stay down there too. You're going out of here. I'm going to call the police. You're going to get out of here now. Run along. I'm going to throw something at you if you don't get out of here. <laughs> but I found out when you don't want to play the game, the other preachers don't want you to come around. Because they're doing stuff they don't want you to do. You don't do it. Then I found there was a whole other group of homosexuals in the church <coughs> in leadership. They figured you wasn't messing with women, so they started putting it out there for you to come to 
He's like, hey, no, go. No, no, Jack. No, brother. Don't go that route. <laughs> the Lord's brought me a long way, but for now, I'm not going that way. Not to get a meeting. They shake your hand. They tickle your palm. After a meeting, you stand there. This is the bishop that just done this? I don't want a meeting that bad. <coughs> That's just some things I'm not willing to do to get a revival. But I saw those that were. And I saw them skyrocket into fame. And I watched them shoot right back. And I just kept preaching in little churches. Revivals, catching planes in. And then two hours on the road to get to a town. And the hotel they have is the Super 6. It couldn't even be the 8. <coughs> or you go to revival and they take you to somebody's house and take you downstairs in the prophet's quarters. I said, you almost think I'm a mystic or magic. This is like a dungeon. This is not, the prophets this is up. They're not. <coughs> and after I got to the point where I was sick of traveling ministry, I was sick of politics and sick of church and sick of the games and sick of the lies and accusations and sick of fighting with preachers and pastors over honorariums and offerings. They want you, when you have a miracle ministry, to play up the miracles and then lift an offering. When you don't do that, they say, you ain't going to make it. I had to sit there and have them telling me that they, in their church, they ain't never had a move of God, ever. And after you have a move of God, somebody come tell you something stupid like that. And I admit, I was depressed. I got so bitter against the church, I didn't want to go to church, but I was stuck. It's all I knew how to do. And in 16 years, all that flame I had was dying down. And then suddenly, God began to tell me, I was coming in from one revival right through the city of Detroit. And as I come to the end, I'm looking through Detroit, and I said, oh, this place looks bad. I was just somewhere pretty like California. This place is ugly. Woo, I said, Lord, I said, where are we going? We got to get out of here. I started setting my sights somewhere pretty to go. I'm not married. I ain't got no kids. I can go anywhere. I said, what is wrong with the city of Detroit? And a voice spoke to me while I was driving. He said, a city without walls. I'm riding, thinking to myself, that ain't God. I said, city without walls? Paula White, church without walls. That's a good thing. City without walls, church without walls. I'm just thinking, because I'm like, mm -hmm, it ain't God talking. He said, no, a city without walls, the wolf. And the enemy can move in and out unchecked for there's no watchman in the city. I said, so I get again, where are we going? <coughs> what are we going to do? Because <laughs> I know I'm not going to be at five laughing. This ain't God. And I kept on driving. And he said, but I want you to be a watchman in the city. I want you to repair the breach. I want you this definitely ain't God. I went on. I put it out of my mind and didn't think about it. And all of a sudden, a prophet called me on the phone. He said, you know, God's been dealing with you. I said about many things. <laughs> I'm being prophetically slick now about many things. And I said, he said, God's dealing with you about starting that church. I said, no, he's not because I'm not married. And I don't want to be called in person. And all these goofy women that think they want to marry a pastor start coming to your church. And then when you get married, all of them leave the church. I'm not having that happen to me. I ain't married. Need to be married. I was like, going all this stuff. He said, God says, you didn't pass up that time. <laughs> you and the other time now. 
you, you're married. You should have got married already if that's what you wanted to do. He said, God's saying it's time for you to build the factory. It's time for you to build the church. I said, Ooh. no, that can't be God. Then another prophet called me a week later. And he's one of them kind of prophets. He don't never tell you nothing like you called to do nothing higher. He's always got a word that's a humbling word. I'm like, I don't hear nothing from him. He said, but God is saying to you today, son, it's time for you to start the house, to build the church. I said, but I'm not married. He said, it don't matter. But I don't have. I started giving all these reasons. He said, God said he don't care. So I'm saying, that's two out of three. Prophets don't be prophesying. You got a million prophecies that came to pass. It don't mean nothing. I said, that's just one more prophecy. And all of a sudden, I go to this convention. And I'm sitting there. There's 300 people in this church convention. And the pastor preacher's name is Mahesh Shanda. He's a Hindu who got Jesus appeared to him and converted. He got converted to Christianity by having a vision of Jesus. And he's now preaching the gospel, powerful signs and wonders. And I love this ministry. And I'm sitting there, and there's 300 people in Maryland, and there's nobody there from Michigan. I'm the only person from Michigan. Because you met everybody had name tags. I'm the only guy sitting there from Detroit. And he says, well, he's doing, he says, I'm doing a work over in, the, over in, over in, uh, in Iraq, and we need some money for the television broadcast. He said, would anyone sow a seed of $100 to help us do the work of the ministry there? And I said, I believe in Mahesh, and I'm going to support the gospel. I got my $100 bill, and I went on down there and stood in the aisleway. There's about 50 people in the aisleway, but 100 people got up, and more people started coming. And he was sitting up on the platform, and I'd never met him before. <coughs> and this is how he talked. He says, oh. <laughs> and I said, he said, <laughs> he said, Detroit, Michigan. And all of a sudden, my heart started pumping Kool-Aid. I was like. Detroit, what's he going to say? He said, oh, Detroit, Michigan. He said, a great porto of glory is opening over Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> and he says, and I see a tower of prayer and power erected in the midst of that city, the likes to which the city has not seen before. Oh, <laughs> Detroit, Michigan. And I said, oh, no. And I looked over at my friend. He said, I told you so. You're going to have to obey the Lord. So my, my $100 hand went on down. Put the $100 down there. And I said, Lord, after I have done a 16-year marathon through all this foolishness, Revival preaching. Remember the last revival, one of the last revivals I had was in Goldsboro, North Carolina. And I remember when I went in that little town, I had to fly into Raleigh, and we drove an hour into Goldsboro. Deeper life Christians in there. And I'll never forget that night I was preaching, and there was about 1,600 people in there, and we were having revival. And I told them to come and bring their handkerchiefs and tie a knot and put them in a basket. We had about hundreds of handkerchiefs. I said, bring your oil bottles and put them on the front. We're going to bless them on this last night. And every night God was moving. But I'll never forget that night. It was like a gold cloud against the walls came in there. And all of a sudden in that cloud, they began to come down for the prayer line. I mean, the prayer line went so long I couldn't close the service. And I'm telling you, they came up and back braces were falling to the floor canes to the floor and crutches to the floor and goiters were busting and all the people's necks it was just miracle after miracle the glory of God just it was so strong that it filled the hallways and the people were falling under the power and the power 
walking in groups and just it was just on everybody. People were so drunk in the Holy Ghost that the next day they were trying to cut the grass and falling out on the grass on the lawn. Drunk in the spirit. It hit the whole place. And God said, I have taught you. I have trained you in all of these difficult terrain. Because I said, Lord, how come you don't, you, you give me these hard churches that don't know nothing about the Holy Ghost and it take me five days of preaching and drilling and then the last night we start getting a breakthrough and they come back next year and it's like we ain't never had a revival there. Because the pastors can't sustain the atmosphere because they're not spiritual. They're just having church. And when he got ready to start church, he said, and I remember my brother Carl was looking at me, and he, he's the last person that came to me in church. And he said, he said, man, you got to start that church, man. <laughs> and, and Toy was like, if you're going to do it, you need to do it now. I'm like, I don't want to do no church. Carl was like, man, just start the church. <laughs> I was like, it's easy for you to say. He said, I'll help you do it. Start the church. So I made an announcement and put out 500 flyers, no, 5,000 flyers. I said, probably nobody's going to come. I had a church over there in a hotel. And the first night, I brought in two speakers from out of town. They said, we're going to help you start it. Yeah, we'll help you, we'll help you participate. And the first two services, about 300 people showed up both nights. And that Sunday, April the 1st, I said, April Fool's. I said, some how appropriate. <laughs> April Fool's Day. About 123 people showing up. And in during praise and worship, I had never had a manifestation where feathers begin to fall during the worship. And I didn't see them, but you know who saw them? The children saw it. And the children started collecting the flowers. And, uh, and one of them, my little niece Camille, she's in here now, she said, she said, Uncle Marlon, she said, why was this falling off through the service? I said, Maybe a bird got caught up through the vent bin. <laughs> Something went wrong and the feathers was gone. She said, no. She said, no. I looked above the ceiling and there was nothing above the ceiling, but right below it, it's like it just began to fall right below it. I still had those feathers. I was like, what in the world is feathers falling? But it was a witness. Supernatural. And the next week, about 20 people was there. And next week, about 30 people. Then it was about 15. Then it was about 10. Then it was about 40. Then it was about 30. Then it was about 10. About 10. About 12. About 15. About 10. And then about 20. And then about 40. And suddenly, it's about 40 people coming regularly. And we started having I said, if anybody want me to do Bible study, you're going to have to sign up because I'm not going to pay for another room if nobody show up. So they signed up the lease, and we started having Bible study, and it was packed. And so we started having service every week, and We've had to go through many changes. And then the Lord started telling me to do Holy Ghost outpouring. And then he started telling me to do Fresh Oil Friday services. We started written out the Shriners meetings uh, over there on Nine Mile. And we were having nothing. The whole emphasis was laying on hands for healing, for baptism, the Holy Ghost, and for signs and wonders. How many of you remember some of those services? How many remember some of those services? We would have it packed in that room, and the power of God would be awesome. Never forget the night somebody came in drunk. They brought him in the street. And the power of God, remember that? And the power of God got on him and sobered him right up in <laughs> the service completely. God was pouring out his spirit. But here's what I brought all this to on our 10-year anniversary. I want you to understand the history of where I've come from. I want you to understand the history of what it took for me to get to where I am now and what I have forged through. I had so much more to tell you, but time won't permit but the story is, is that we got to walk out the call of God. And I had many 
sleepless nights, many difficult times, many heartbreaking times, many devastating times. I've had bishops tell me, you'll never be nothing. I had great preachers and apostles tell me, you don't have what it takes. I've had it all over. I've had negative press. I've had lies told on me. He must be gay. He must be. I've had people accuse me of messing with children. He's doing this. I've had people slander and say all kinds of things, which they have no proof of. No, ever, nobody ever came forward and said, I was the one he did it to. Never. No nothing. So I know you can mind your own business and do what's right, and people are going to lie on you anyway. You can do all you can not to mess with people, trick people, lead people on, and they're going to lie on you anyway. You can be weak and you can struggle, but the devil will always try to destroy you. I know what it means to be betrayed by Judas over and over again. I know what it's like to help people, to take them in when they have nothing and help them and nurture them and watch them rob you of everything you have. I know what it's like to give them a key and let them live in your house and come back and all your cash is gone. I know what it's like to have them lie to you and take from you all in the name of Jesus. I know what it's like to think that you don't have a friend in the world really you can trust. You don't have nobody. You think about who can I call and talk about this with and really everybody you know got a big mouth and you can't tell them nothing. You got to go back to Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. God is going to make, if, you, if God has his hand on you, he's going to create the circumstances. He's going to allow the circumstances to be created that you are going to have nobody but him. He's going to create the circumstances where you're not going to have no one else to depend on but him. Nobody. And the longer you resist that, the more trouble you're going to have. You might as well give in to it and say, yes, Lord. You're not going to understand the walk that you have. You're never going to understand the path that you had. When I graduated from Bible College, Dave Roberson, I said, Pastor Dave, would you pray for me? He said, come on down, I'll pray for you. He prophesied a prophecy to me that I cringed when he told me. He said, I see you ministering to thousands of people on a regular basis. He said, God's going to raise you up in an arena. He said, but I see the road that you're on. And it's long and it's jagged and full of terrain. Harsh terrain. He said, but the power of the Holy Ghost is going to be phenomenal. He said, men were going to come and tell you, this is the way to walk. This is what you should do. He said, if you listen to them, you'll have success, but not the power the way you want it. He said, but if you'll be diligent to walk the path that the Holy Spirit has for you, he'll take you into his perfect place. And God will manifest his glory. I didn't know how to take that word. Rough and hard and jagged. But that's exactly what the 26 years of preaching has been. And 10 years of pastoring has not been easy. So if you're going to be a part of this ministry, you need to understand the lineage and the mantle. That people ask me, where do you get the revelation you get? I said, suffering. Because when I suffered and was brokenhearted and had no desire to preach and then had no desire to do the ministry because of the lonely disappointment and the life of being constantly misunderstood 
by other people who are misunderstood. And the suffering of things just getting taken out of your hands and being done raw and unfairly. And you have to take it. And then Jesus tells you to bless them that curse you. Love them that hate you. Do good to them that despitefully use you. You can get better quick. I was sitting in a service about 50 people and a woman said, there's someone here tonight and you're very bitter. I'm sitting in the back of my arms folded. That's not me. (laughs) Yes, and you think it's not you. I said, come on now, Lord. And the Lord says, even though there's a lot of things that have made you bitter, you can't be bitter against him. Because if you do, it's going to get worse. I said, oh, God. And you have to repent. I said, I repent. I repent. (laughs) I repent. Well, I didn't repent right away because I was hard. I'm like, fine then. Then take me out of here. Kill me then. Lend it. Don't care. I'm through. (laughs) She said, but you're going to miss all the great things God has for you. (laughs) Call me out. Everybody in the service was like, is it me, Jesus? Am I going to betray you? But I knew it was me. And that's when I learned a lesson that night. You got to learn how to get better and not get bitter and not take it personal with people. Love people, but don't take it personal. This ain't about them. It's about you and Jesus. And it's all about him. It ain't about them. It's about him. And God has a plan for you. And he has a purpose for you. And your walk is not my walk. But I have to tell you, you can follow another path and be successful. Yes, you can. You can have everything that you think you want in life on that path. But you won't have the glory of God with it. You won't, have a, you won't be a, you'll need a pill to wake up and a pill to go to sleep. But if you walk the path that God has for you, to push past the doubt and fear. I had to push past a lot of fear. And a lot. People say, you just been doing you just been doing this so easy. This is a thousand services of leading worship, preaching in churches that don't listen, churches that are hard to preach to, churches that are easy to preach through. I for every church I preach where the power was great, I preached in ten that it was a struggle. Because they've been listening to years of nonsense. And you got three days to re to brainwash them and to reprogram them and sometimes it don't work. What are you saying, Pastor? I hope you enjoyed this. But on this 10th anniversary, as we move.